My name is Dwayne Default, and welcome to Selling SaaS, a podcast that's built to get you the best advice from the top experts for go-to-market strategies, sales, and product-led growth. Now let's get into today's episode. It's really unfortunate to see the number of big logos that we all understand, see, experience to then get on the other side of things. And it's like crickets. There's no, they have all this pomp and circumstance in the acquisition phase where they do all this crazy marketing, the sales process, you get to talk to a sales engineer and all that. And then it's almost like you get one or two interactions with them. And then all of a sudden it's a four hour wait for support. It's a week to get an email back from your CSM. It's you have to ask them to do something. And then the this little things like the supporting documentation or the help section doesn't have anything that's relevant. Uh, and then they then they rest on legalese on the renewals. Like it's really, it's interesting to see two parts of that where you think they're focused on the customer experience, but they're focused on the acquisition experience. And then we went through this phase of the last couple of years of, Everything was growth at all costs, acquisition, dumping money into paid camp. And I feel there's a few companies that are kind of sitting in the consequence of not building that, the exceed expectations part where they put too much emphasis on acquisition and having a bloated sales team, but they never put any thought in customer success. They never put any thought in like, what is the ongoing customer marketing going to be? All of their eggs are in the acquisition basket. And then they're having issues with churn, support tickets, customer reviews are negative, uh, their NPS is dropping. And so it's the the customer exceed expectations thing is something I, I feel like a lot of founders need to add in their repertoire or add into their focus when it comes to building a business. Like it's really interesting to hear people's definitions and the different ways they look at what does exceed expectations mean? And it's all too often, and I kind of want to put them in the category of the 90% of startups that fail when they think exceed expectations means product delivery. It's like, well, you need to solve the problem. Yes. Like back to your triangle, they need to solve the problem. But if you're not helping them have a great experience, if you're not ushering them into your business the way they need you to, then they're never going to get to that point that feature solves. And I feel like we're seeing a, a lot of that right now, over-engineered products that aren't delivered to the market properly. And then everyone has zero trust in the game and they don't even take, they don't even spend the time in the product to figure out all that stuff. And then they just jump ship and go to this other brand or they go back to whatever they were doing. Well, that, that is of course sad and it's all right. But as I mean, it's, it's, what I, what I see a lot and that it comes back to trade number one, that organizations think that they are focused enough because we're focused on professional service companies of this size. And they attract partially the right companies. Some of them will become fans, but also partially the wrong companies. And these will be, you know, just dragging the whole organization down because implementation is much harder because they want things that the system cannot really do the way they want it to do. Uh, customer success is, is horrible, you know, because they cannot get the, the, the quick wins in. They will be keeping R&D really, really uh, up on their feet with all kind of feature requests that are that shouldn't be even on the roadmap if you focus on the right customers. And that means that a lot of time is wasted on fixing gaps rather than focusing on what I call in my book, creating peaks. You can focus your time more on creating peaks, those moments where you really shine again when it really matters. 
that's that is getting creating that bond and it's always about doing less and that's why it's so important to continue to niche down and focus on those verticals because then everything starts to align you get more product requests that are actually relevant to everybody else you get more feedback in the positive and you get less support tickets you get less churn you you start attracting people that actually need some of those little things that you previously thought were unnecessary but become a really big value or they solve a really big issue so it's it's interesting to see how effective that is but it's effective long term right before we were recording we were talking about patience and focus and i, I feel like niching down and getting even more focused on a specific vertical takes a lot longer than most early stage founders are comfortable with and that you when you said complacency earlier it made me think about like oh they had one measurement or they had one moment of winning and then they're just oh we can win everywhere we're going to go release all these things and then become highly unfocused and i see that i see that a lot unfortunately when they get their series a or when they get their series b they're like oh we did this one thing really well that means we can do all these other things really well and then they become super stretched thin. They don't go deep in any specific part of their product. They start marketing to everybody. And then all of a sudden those, those magical growth numbers that they put inside of the spreadsheet to go get that series A that they only you know, produced for two or three months weren't real. So it's really, I keep saying the word interesting. It's just like no other way to describe it. Just, it makes you think like, where, where did some of these lessons come from that made that thought process okay yeah but I mean, it's the thinking that they are focused enough you know we focus on one vertical we focus on that particular thing we focus on this country but still it's like way too broad and it's it's often also driven by the other side that for example on the on the vc side the only thing that these are after are like huge total digital markets the temps and the kind of the thinking then becomes okay this market is is like it's three billion and it's growing 26 percent compound average growth rate it's massive. If we just get one percent of this, we're, we're you know. Oh, how many conversations I've heard about? Oh, let's just go get half a percent. That's doable. I'm like, why would you get one customer? Yeah, yes, go, it goes back yeah. to the first conversation. Go, go find me a repeatable process to go and get a customer that we can count on, and then we'll talk about total addressable market because you can go to market with a very small TAM, but solving a really important solution, and then we're back to that triangle we were talking about before. It goes back, I mean, I saw it also in the company I used to work for. There's such a difference between one country and the other country. Where what, Well, we, we sold one solution in 26 countries. Same suite, same functionality, same type of customers. But there were, uh, there were yeah, groups inside the, the, the company that understood this better than others. And they were selling, for example, in Belgium, we were selling at least price or higher, winning eight out of 10. And in other countries, um, the, I, the discussion was always like, but we need, to, we need to be able to give 60, 70% discount. And win rates were 20%. But it, this, like, this is not a company A and company B. It's the same company. It's the same solution. It's the same verticals. And it's just that being comfortable with, with saying no. Yeah. So the, the, we keep talking about the word focus and the, I want to go in so many avenues 
on that are so many directions because I'm like, well, you have to understand the country's nuances and how to approach. And it's all about your positioning and discovery because then it resonates differently. If you, we can use the United States as an example. If you approach somebody in Texas, the same way you would approach someone in Boston, you, you defend people. If you approach someone in Boston, the same way you would do in like California, the person from the Northeast or the Boston area would get massively impatient with you. But it's the same thing in different countries. You have to understand the nuances, differences. But back to the focus conversation, we're talking about, you mentioned something where it's focused on a vertical, but you're still very broad. I want to break that down for the audience a little bit and give us an example, if you can. I know you go through a couple of them in your book, but like, give us an example of what you mean by, oh, we're focused on this vertical, but then we're still very broad. Like, how focused are we talking about here? Until it feels uncomfortable. <laughs> but that's sort like, of the, the whole thing. I mean, in my book, I'm talking about a company from South Africa. And that company was initially a, a, a drone business that was kind of flying across farms, making pictures. Then they realized, okay, there's not a lot of, there's not a really good business model, but what we have to do at the end is also kind of get data from this. And then the data is something that we can sell. And what they really, what they started to do is, okay, they started to kind of fly across these farms, but they started to focus and niche down on citrus farms. Citrus farms at the end is about 10% of the total market. So everybody would say, okay, now focus on the big markets, you know, whether we got the 40 and the 50, uh, the big chunks. They said, no, no, we're going to focus on the smallest one, but we've got to be specialists there. And because of that, they could, first of all, solve very valuable and critical problems for those farmers and exceed expectations like no one else, because they could give these farmers insight about exactly what tree to start looking at because it was too dry. It had insects, it had this disease, that disease, because they started to niche down. And they rolled up, like you said, South Africa became the dominant factory in the market, started to go to other countries as well, and started to create a whole business and ecosystem around it as well. But the whole thing was, they were comfortable with starting with the smallest niche. That is an angle that, that you could think about. So let's use them as an example. So basically the difference that we're talking about is, and correct me if I'm wrong as I go here. So we've got, like for an example, we have two, two of the same companies, a drone company taking pictures of farms. And so you've got one company that is focused on, they're building a specific type of drone that goes after farms, they provide data and they're going after a specific persona, but then you've got another company that, yes, we have drones, we're taking pictures and video of farms, but we're only doing it in this region of the world, and we're doing it for this type of crop, and we're providing this type of data for this type of person. And it feels like that first option is where a lot of companies are. They're like, oh, we solve X problem for X type of people. It's like, well, who are the ideal ones? Who gets the best out of it? Who do you work with the most? Who, and that's, and as solopreneurs like yourself and me, it's constantly doing the same thing. It's really learning what you should say no to because it sucks working with them. Like, it's a weird way to look at it. But when I'm working with tech companies, I'm always trying to figure out what are the companies that ask for discounts? What are the companies that have caused more problems during onboarding? What are the ones that don't pay us the, like, what are the ones that just caught you? You can still solve the problem, 
like you can still solve the, the, the primary issues that your tool provides, but maybe it's a completely different industry. They're using it a little bit differently. It still solves the issue for them, but they need more help. They're not as tech savvy or whatever. It's learning to say no to the ones that could potentially pay you and really continuing to focus on those exact specific ones that are easy to work with. Like it's really hard to work with founders to do that because they end up saying no to money. And that's really hard to do at the very early stages, especially when you're, you know, bootstrapped, but it's super important for long-term growth of the company because you have to niche down incredibly narrow. You create confidence. Yes. You create confidence and that is worth a lot. And now I've talked about, I talked earlier on about a company called Equalture. Once they started to realize, okay, we weren't too broad. Yes, we can solve the problems of a lot of companies that, that, that hire people doesn't mean we, we need to or we should to do. So they decided to go back to the mission, back to those that are really about uh, yeah, getting rid of the bias in the hiring. And they were selling to companies that couldn't care less about bias, you know. They were just seeing a tool and, you know. So back to that. And they actually called up a couple of customers and said, okay, this is what we see. You don't, you're not, you're not aligned with our mission. We're not aligned with, your, uh, aligned with your mission. That's all fine. But here's where it ends. We cancel the contract. That that level of confidence from top down brings so much confidence in sale and you start to attract exactly the right customers for that. I was recently, I, I made a comment on a post from Neta Madoff, CEO of a company called Vault. And they were at, a, at an event, I think in Phoenix, and they had this booth behind them. And on the booth itself, it said, if you're in, they, their, their platform is about speaking up and enabling people to make a case about things that are not, not going well in the company, you know, um, harassment, these type of things. On their booth, it said, if you're only in this to check a compliance box, our solution is not going to be the right one for you. Fantastic. That is fantastic, you know. That's being so bold, being there and say, okay, we don't even want to talk to you, you know. Fine, go find something else. There's a lot of vendors out there. We want to speak to the ones that there are not in this just for compliance, but for the right reasons. And immediately, you have the right conversation. There's energy. You believe what they believe. They believe what you believe. And that just makes the whole process so much more efficient. It's so important that you brought up confidence because when you have that... So to to you need to be able to persuade people to your way of thinking. And the best way to do that is to exude confidence because then that's contagious. People feel that confidence. And when you, it's a trans, when you transfer that energy to them, then they start to believe more what you believe and are much more likely to be open to adjusting the way they do things. If you're, if all you do is have a bunch of pitch decks and talk tracks and memorize things, and that's all of your slogans and you're never really showing who you are, what you stand for, and telling people exactly how it is respectfully, then they always have, they're always coming from the position of strength rather than your company. And so I I love when companies have that self-awareness to be confident or no, this is who we work with. And it's okay if you're, if you're not that fit, we'd rather send you to this place over here or go over there. And because when, what I've found is when you, when a company goes that niche down, when they go to that level of specificity, they, one, they become a, almost like a household name for that specific type of customer. 
But then after a few years of doing that and they become, they have that reputation, they have that level of confidence, then that's when they start to just attract other verticals. They're not technically going after them. And so it's backwards. Like you think you have to go broad first to capture more of the market. Yeah. And so you go super deep in a vertical, you become the household, you're the expert, you're solving that critical, valuable, urgent problem. And you're kind of ignoring the rest of the market. But then all of a sudden, like you said, the word of mouth, people start seeing it. And then all of a sudden, your cost of acquisition goes down, people start coming in on their own. It's quite incredible when founders have that level of patience to know, hey, we have a huge TAM, but I want to make sure we solve this problem in this way for this type of person for the next 24 months. And if you can have that level of patience and the ability to focus on that, I think that's that one, I'd say one key to help more startups become scale-ups and become successful. And so with that, you know, as I say, that being the key, we only went over three traits before is I know we, we're kind of running out of time here, but it's like, you know, the volume, the viability, volume, like what were some of the other ones that are notable call outs? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, to your point about becoming the magnet for the right type of customers. I mean, I'm sometimes talking about you become incomparable for them. Well, even though you do the same thing as a lot of the competitors, but you become incompatible for what they need. I mean, that's what I call my book, The Remarkable Effect. It creates an effect that you... You almost cannot budget for. But okay, I talked about the value foundation, which is about the segmentation. And not like others, you cannot please everyone. Create something valuable and desirable. And the last one is they aim to be different, not just better. That's the foundation. If you get those three right, you start off on the right foot. Then we get into the, the momentum or viability. Viability at the end is okay. You get that momentum going or you start growing. Now keep there. That's about four traits. They're master, mastering curiosity, not only at the C level, but across the organization. Ask, dare to ask questions, dare to go deep on like, what does it really mean? Figure out, ask, why is this and why is this not? Or, yeah, and these type of, type of things. If you keep that going, you will pick up on the signals way earlier and you'll be able to come up with approaches, again, going back to be different, not just better that are fundamentally different, and that's where you can create the difference again. Another thing there in, the, in that trade level is they create new value possibilities. So they create things they've never been able to do before. Another one is they create fans, not just customers. Yeah, you said fans a couple of times, and then I, I, I was wanting to dig into the chief evangelist and fan stuff, uh, and it's, it's just a different, I think it's just a completely different mindset and approach the team has when you change the verbiage in your company from customers to fans, customers to, you know, raving fans. It's just, it just kind of, it, it enhances the meaning that you do with so many things in the business. And you will equally, you will so instantly see like what's wrong, you know, we have a hundred customers. How many are fans? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's words right out of my mouth. I love that you use the word fan and evangelist throughout your description. If something is worth making a remark about, if they believe that what you offer as a SaaS solution is so right for them, that they would scream if you take it away from them, they will talk about it to their peers. I mean, I've had a couple of people on the podcast that created sort of an effect that was just over that, that angle, where it became antiviral, where people said, I'm not going to talk to anybody about it because this is my competitive advantage. <laughs> <laughs> 
not a bad thing. Exactly. But and then the last the last trait in that viability thing is that they focus on the essence. And that is also really I mean, focusing on the essence is a really important one. It is about getting towards the essence of what is the problem really? What is the business we're really in, you know? Because once you start doing all these exercises, you think you're in the CRM space, you think you're in the payroll space or in whatever, whatever space you are in. But that's not what customers are buying from you. Customer buys an outcome and that's the business you're in. And once you start to understand that, that's where you can really narrow down all your efforts, marketing, sales, R&D, customer success-wise, to just do, make that happen. And that, is, that, and that is a thing that all these things together bring what I call a resourcefulness. And that is a really important thing for companies that once they get to that growth level, that they keep the resourcefulness to just have the freedom to do what's, what's next on the line. And I've seen so many companies that start growing, think they're there, you know, and then start to cut back on things, start to focus much more on sales and marketing and put all the efforts there. And R&D is like on a squeeze, then start to bring the right, wrong customers in so R&D get even more squeezed with the wrong things. But the resourcefulness is a really important thing to keep that. I really like the way you put that, the essence and how resourcefulness is so crucial to maintain that and always having that connection. And it explains why some well-known products or companies kind of adjust over time because the outcome is adjusting for their best customers and they're not just staying silent in this one thing, which is fascinating. And so I know we're running up on time. So if an early stage founder is listening to this, they maybe have a team, 10, 12 people, they're still in that that repeatable product market fit phase. They're trying to get to a scale up. Like what is the one thing that you would tell them? Get your foundation right, your traction foundation. And like like we talked before, you know, get niche down to a point where it starts to feel uncomfortable, where you start to almost like start sweating. Define what makes the difference for your customers. Recently I had a very, I'm running a CEO mastermind. We had a very interesting prompt not sure actually where it came from, but, and it was like this, what will make you sweat, but your customers cheer. And once you figure that one out, that becomes almost like the mission behind the company in the first place. It's like the guarantees you can start to give, you know, just not saying, okay, we, this is a promise we have. This is the benefits you get from our solution. No, no, these are the guarantees we'll give you because once you get to that level, it becomes something that, first of all, it drives a lot of confidence, but it gives everybody in the company laser focus. I recently had uh, Christian Owens from Paddle on my podcast, and he said, I'm, I'm ruling by two holistic mission principles. We do it for you, and we want to be the, the most helpful business in SaaS. And he said, anything, anybody in the company can make decisions, and if it ticks those two boxes, that's what, that, that's what we're going to do. And with that, he started to be able to, but uh, we do it for you. He's not making a solution that companies can do things for themselves. No, we take it completely away from you. What if, it did, if you didn't even have to bother about it anymore? And they give guarantees on it. If they mess up, they pay for it, you know? And just that extra thing makes everybody in the company like, wait a minute, what are we promising here? Can we live up to that? Have we figured it all out? Have we done everything in the, in the product possible to ensure that, how do you say, that we avoid these at all, at all costs. Yeah, yeah. But with that, you create something that customers are prepared to pay premium for. 
Yeah, so I, I know a, a supplement brand. It's like a no-brainer. It's crazy that more companies don't do this, but yet they still believe in their product so much. I, I know a supplement brand where if the product doesn't work out for you and you return it, they'll do like 105% return rather than just refund the cost. So it's not only no shipping for you, but they'll give you money back for like your experience. And it's like, he even says like, you could potentially game the system and buy return, buy return and make money on it. But they have like a zero, like there's zero returns. It's crazy. So they have this guarantee, but there's so much confidence and capabilities and quality put into the product that it just doesn't happen. But it started with a mindset. It starts with, the one, the remarkable software companies measure their success by the impact they help their customers create, not by the valuation that they have been able to, to nail at the, at the next VC or the exit they are going to have in five years' time. If, and once you do that, the other things will come your way in, in ways you cannot even predict. But it's, it's with that mindset. Wow. I, and I, I think that is a great, great thing to end on. Focus on the impact you're having for your customer rather than the valuation you hope to have. Yeah, if you measure your success by that, everybody happy. Yeah, it keeps the company focused. Imagine that being the ultimate OKR. <laughs> exactly, yeah, true. Yeah. Tone, man, it was, i really, really happy we were finally able to make this work. The schedule's aligned. I feel like we covered a lot of really great stuff on here. You know, any closing remarks or if anyone wants to follow, hear more, where can they get the book? Well, the book, I mean, I've created, um, it's on my website and you can download the Kindle for free. I'm not in the business of making money with books. Don't think it's an ebook of 40 pages. It's literally 280 pages. Yeah, it's, it's a long loaded, book. <laughs> it's loaded with uh, value. So go to uh, theremarkableeffect.com and then you can download it from there. Uh, if you want to say hi to me, you, know, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just type in my name. Don't think there's a lot of people with my name and uh, I'll say hi there. Yeah, and um, also you guys, anyone can subscribe to The Value Inspiration. It's a daily email that goes out, right? Exactly. If you go to my website, valueinspiration.com slash daily, I mean, it's, uh, it's a daily. It is. Yeah, I, I've gotten used to seeing the, the email pop up in the subject line. I'm like, oop, there's another one. Uh, <laughs> and the, the, whole, the whole game at the end is, is just about value creation. I mean, there's no selling in there. It's great because there's not, it's, a lot of it is tactical. A lot of it's just, it's good. It's not super long and you don't really get, you don't get the feeling that I, of, I just read something unnecessary. There's always some kind of takeaway in there, which is really nice. You know, I get a lot of emails. Everyone gets a lot of emails and oftentimes there's not anything valuable in there. It's just another ad or someone kind of trying to, you know, sell some affiliate thing and you have to click this and that to go get something. Rarely do you get an email every day for that matter, that's actually providing some type of value. And so I, I, I think that's amazing. And, I, and it takes a lot of effort to write that all the time and it to be different. So I applaud your ability to maintain that. So everyone listening, you know, go become a subscriber of the value inspiration, go download the free ebook and enjoy lots of good stuff in there. Uh, and I, there are some things that I'm going to go back and reread just because we talked about some stuff that I may have not connected dots for before. And like the broken triangle, I'm going to go back and reread that section too. So, Ton, it's been great. I really appreciate the time you spent, and I look forward to everyone that's going to listen to the show. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Selling SaaS Podcast. And if you got value from today, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. 